Hey everyone, welcome to the 243rd episode of the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and your co-host, Kevin Tofel. And we have an amazing show for you today. We're going to start with Kevin's wink being down with Google Home. Zigbee Alliance has some news. OFC has some news. And we're going to talk about Ring. Many things about Ring. We're also going to talk about a new smart grill that has some smarts from June and the pellet power of... Well, not a trigger, it's a Weber. And Amazon has a new product that's going to make it easier for you to control your TV with Madam A. Plus, Eero's got a new app, and we're going to review products this week. I picked up some Nanoleaf Canvas lights with my friend, and I'm going to talk a little bit about those. This week, we're going to hear from our sponsor, Lagrange, all about interoperability. And our guest is Alex Yang, who is COO and co-founder of Tuya. That's right. I think probably one of the largest IoT platforms in the world, and we've got their COO and co-founder talking to us about it. All of this and more, so stay tuned. But first, let's hear from another one of our sponsors, Afero. Why do you need the Afero platform? Because you're building multiple smart products at scale. You need an end-user experience that amplifies your brand. You need security and data integrity that you can trust. You need response times measured in milliseconds. You need consistent development and technology reuse. And you need a single mobile app for all of your devices. This is all built on the fifth largest patent portfolio in IoT. If you want it all, Afero delivers. Get started at afero.io. That's A-F-E-R-O dot I-O. Okay, Kevin. So I understand that you've been left in the dark today. Yes, not just today, but for a couple of days. And I'm not the only one, as I have found from the Wink Users Group on Facebook, which anyone can join. Um, they ask you a couple simple questions before you get approved. But um, there are lots of good conversations over there. So I recommend if you're a Wink owner to join up. And lately, I've noticed a lot of people complaining. In fact, on November 14th, somebody posted, Wink is down on Google Assistant for me. Is anybody else experiencing this? And apparently, everybody who has a Wink is experiencing this, and I can confirm it. I just tested it again before the show, and anytime I ask my Google devices to do anything that's related to my Wink Hub, it says, I'm sorry, I can't communicate with Wink right now. So there seems to be a problem between uh, Google and Wink at the moment, uh, API issue, I presume. I don't know why it cropped up all of a sudden. At first, I was like, maybe it has to do with the switchover with works with Nest to works with Google. They've had this before, like a month and a half ago, I think it was, They it broke, and then it was fixed. But now maybe it's broken again forever. Well, that's the funny thing. I mean, an API is an API. So unless the API changed on Google's side, presumably, then it shouldn't break unless there are some server issues on the Wink side. I do not know. Uh, I, I'm not going to speculate. But again... Your Wink stuff still works with Madam A and Siri, though. This is very true. So it seems to be then an API change, maybe? It may be. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I just want it fixed. Right. Well, you know, <laughs> remember, we reported a couple weeks ago that Wink hadn't been paying its people, and they were waiting for a funding deal to go through, and we weren't sure that was going to happen. Yeah, I don't know what it is. But before the show, I even said to you, Stacey, I'm like, I hate to keep harping on Wink, but I can't help it when I'm affected and many other people are affected, right? Yeah, too bad they didn't get bought by a big tech company. Oh, mm -hmm. well. I mean, remember all the hubs? Let's take a quick stroll down memory lane. <laughs> doodle -doodle -doodle -doodle. But we had the Revolve hub. The Nest folks bought that, which yep. they killed it. Bye-bye. Um, the engineers uh, were brought in. Um, then we had, let's see, way back, Smart Things still around. Samsung bought it. So that probably is why it's still around. Mm -hmm. And now we've got a bunch of offshoots that you can build and control and run yourself. Were there others? There's the Hubitat Hub that's still around, oh. although although it, it only does the Z radios, no Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. There was also that Smart Hub that was Office Depot's effort in this space. Zonoff hmm. made it, and I can't think of the, we'll call it the Zonoff Hub, but that's gone and dead. It yeah, that's work. gone. So here we are. 
we'll let you know if this starts working or if anyone from Wink ever gets back to us. Or, you know, we can reach out to Google, but my hunch is it's probably not Google's issue. Mm. So, let's- It's my issue. (laughs) Yeah, it's Kevin's issue. (laughs) We'll move on now to some big news in standards land. The Zigbee Alliance- I didn't realize they had this, but they they put out a release saying that they've augmented their green power program, to which I was like, what? What green power program? Exactly. But they have Hmm. a logo, the green power logo, that connotes that a device is made with energy harvesting technology. So it's using some sort of energy harvesting chip, which this is pretty cool. I've talked about how in the smart home, we totally need more of this. I I think I only have one device that uses energy harvesting, and it's a Philips Hue tap, and that thing works on piezoelectric power. So every button press gives it enough energy to keep operating. Well, the Zigbee Alliance says that if you are using a, I guess, certifiable green power energy harvesting technology, you should put that logo on your device, and now you have to. So now you can actually look for more devices that don't have batteries, but just have their own energy harvesting tech. I think that's cool. I agree with you. I think it's cool. I just wish that the press release had announced some devices that already or, or qualify for this logo because it's like, it's great, but I can't get anything, right? Will we ever see it in the world? I don't know. If you see the Green Power logo before we do, snap a picture and you can tag us on Twitter or send us an email. I don't know. Other standards news. The OCF, the Open Connectivity Foundation, which going way back in history, basically they want to have a unified standard for devices speaking to one another in the home, everywhere else, la la la. This was created many, many moons ago by Intel. Um, it was a rival to the Alljoin Foundation, which was Qualcomm's mm, Qualcomm. this. Yeah. And then the Alljoin Foundation got sucked into the Open Connectivity Foundation there was a lot of digestion, some problems. It just took a real long time. And last, earlier this year, I think they released the first standard. But now what they're doing is they're <laughs> I don't think the <laughs> OCF protocols are really going anywhere. So now no. they're doing OCF over thread. This is going to be a certifiable way to basically run the OCF protocol over thread radios, which are the underlying Zigbee radios. So is th- thread really going anywhere? A lot of the Google Nest products have thread inside. They're thread ready or? They have thread inside. (laughs) I mean, basically what we're going to see here, it looks like, is if you have an 802.15.4 radio, which is the underlying. For Zigbee. For Zigbee Mm -hmm. and thread. So you can probably, and the reason you'd run thread over Zigbee is because thread is IPv6 compatible. So it can go straight out to an IP network without going through a hub first. Um, the reason you'd want OFC on top of that would be because you have some additional capabilities like devices can have profiles, like a light bulb can say, I'm a light bulb and I have the following things I can do. I can turn on, I can turn off, I'm tunable, I'm color changing, whatever. So all of that information can go over that protocol and it's a standard way of things talking to each other. Well, okay. I I just it seems like this has gone nowhere for many years. That's my Maybe thought process. Maybe this is the added capabilities it needs. This pushes it over the top. Maybe. Oh, and 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 in the press release they mention a company called Cascoda, which has shown live demos of OCF overthread on Cascoda's Chili 2 module, which is a inexpensive pre-certified IP-based module. So maybe Maybe. I mean, I don't know about that. But it also, I don't either. (laughs) I was trying to help OCFs. (laughs) OCF over thread will support encrypted communications between devices using Ah. public key infrastructure. That's kind of nice. Yes, yes. So this might actually be part of the OFC didn't work in the home. Maybe they're moving it to the enterprise. I don't even know. Anybody who wants it, yeah. But if you guys want to play with it and tell us what you think, do. Please do, and let us know. Yes. All right. Let's talk about Ring. Update on, well, good news first or questionable news? Let's do the good news first, because lately it's been bad news with Ring. Um, And the good news is that uh, Digital Trends has found some FCC filings that indicate we should or could, probably will, 
see some new ring products at CES in January, which you and I are both going to. It looks like the Ring Chime Pro will have a new second generation option, and there will be a Ring Doorbell 3, which finally will operate on the 5 gigahertz band as well as 2.4. Woo-woo! Yeah, because that's why I don't have a Ring right now, because it struggled with my mesh network. Well, that and you're on all Google Home now. and if- But that wasn't the problem. Well, okay. I just, I was... You're right. But at the time, I actually had a hybrid home of Google and Amazon products. Got it. Yes, I do remember that. The hybrid Mm -hmm. home. Yes. Okay. So, yay, we'll look forward to one that works on mesh networks. And also, I would say for sending video files, it's probably better anyway. And maybe Mm -hmm. it'll help with some of the latency. Rings improve the latency a lot, but every every new doorbell, it seems to get a little better. So that's good. And by latency, I mean the latency between the doorbell ringing and sending you the video. Okay, but what else have we discovered about Ring? It's not really what else. I think it's another indication that people are not happy with Ring kind of working with local police officers because there's a Washington Post story that came out this week and it explains a lot of what we've talked about in the past few episodes. Some more numbers here, though. Uh, more than 600 police forces around the country have entered into partnerships with Ring, which is owned by Amazon. And I did not know this, but when all this news about Ring's partnership with police came out, a senator from Massachusetts, Senator Edward Markey, he asked Amazon for details about how it protected privacy and the civil liberties of people caught on camera. And basically, here's the deal, and and we've talked about this before, but again, this is a little more specific. Police in the communities that have the Ring Partnership can request up to 12 hours of video from anyone within a half square mile of a suspected crime scene covering a 45-day time span. The police have to include a case number, but no other details. And you have to give it to them, pretty much. You have to? You can't just opt out? I don't believe so. Oh. Okay. And they keep that for however long they want to. So Yeah, you've, you've lost it at that point. You've lost, quote-unquote, ownership. Yeah. And that's, that's again, I mean, I don't, some people might think we're crazy, but I look at the reporting that like the New York Times is doing on ice raids and how they are working with Palantir and other companies to establish like links to people throughout all of their digital footprints. And I think I don't want to be complicit in that ever. I had a friend who actually asked me what doorbell they should get and they're they're in Washington. They're very liberal. So, you know, we talked about this and they're like, is that for everything? Is that just for ring? And police can subpoena doorbell data from Nest doorbells and other doorbells too. It's just not as easy. <laughs> yeah. I would assume with a subpoena process, it's a little more specific. Well, yes. I mean, well, they just need the case number, but yeah. Anyway, let me just throw a number out there just because I think it's cool. And I did use the um, related holiday theme on my Nest doorbell. Ring doorbells were pressed 15.8 million times on Halloween. Wow. Mm-hmm. Also, that's a little scary. But keeping along, <laughs> I'm like, wow, they know exactly how many trick-or-treaters I had. Mm-hmm. I did I did think it'd be cool if they could look at like data like that and say, in your neighborhood, you're likely to get an average of 7.8 doorbell presses or 7.8 trick-or-treater groups. That would be awesome when buying candy. Exactly. So yeah. one day, yeah. you guys, one day. Or Jamie, if you're listening, please add this feature to Ring. Okay, let's talk about cooking. Cooking. It is not barbecue season where I live, but you know, maybe it's still nice outside where you are and you're in the market for a smart grill. Weber is making a pellet grill, which is super hot right now. Anyway, Traeger is the original pellet grill, Mm -hmm. I believe. But the Weber smart grill is going to be a pellet grill that works with June or it has technology that it, it partnered with June to get. And that technology means that you, the grill will be Wi-Fi connected. You can plug your thermometer into the meat and it will give you cooking suggestions like the June oven does for a piece of meat. And it will also do a countdown to let you know when your meat is going to be done, which I don't know 
my husband is deathly afraid of foodborne illness. So when he puts mm. stuff on the grill, he is hardcore checking the temperature. And experienced grillmeisters may not want this, but novices might think this is pretty handy. Plus, it will help you kind of organize your grill a little bit better and react to things like, oh, it's hotter over here. Since they're using the technology from June, and you and I both have a June oven, um, I, I'm assuming you use the food probe all the time. As well as, yeah, all the time. Exactly. So, and by doing that, I mean, it, again, it knows when to tell you, hey, the food's done because it hit the internal food temperature of X degrees. It's almost fail safe, right? You cannot make bad food as a result of that. And they, it sounds like Weber has integrated that into the grill. And I think that's awesome. Yes. They are not available yet. They'll be available next year. The grill is called the Smoke Fire, and it will come in two sizes. One is going to have a 24-inch long grill for $9.99, and the other is going to have a 36-inch grill, and that will cost $1,199. And that sounds like a lot of money, but my next-door neighbor has a Traeger, and I know they just added Wi-Fi features to the Traeger grills. They're a lot more. Yeah, they're like... Mm -hmm. For the same similar sizes, yes. So, you know, I will say one other thing. Should you invest in this grill, you're going to also want to invest in a Wi-Fi extender or a mesh network so you do have connectivity out on your patio. Just, you know, it would really, I think, would be terrible if you bought this, got so excited, (laughs) took it out, and you're like, ah! The food's burning because the Wi-Fi doesn't reach. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Other new products. Amazon has announced a new Fire TV IR blaster. This kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? Yeah, this was not part of like the massive Amazon launch thing. And, you know, they used to have that cube, the Fire Cube. But this this is priced way better and kind of offers a lot of the functionality, I think. It does require a Fire TV or Echo device. To begin with, it's not like a standalone media player or anything. Basically, what it does is it adds a, a voice blaster. Literally, you can then control TV, your stereo, etc. through this device by voice. So, it's 35 bucks. So, it's kind of like add the Echo voice services to your current home entertainment system for 35 bucks. Yeah, and you do have to have – so, you do have to have a Fire TV stick. Yes. Or a Fire TV stick 4K and a Fire – TV? Or a Fire TV. Or a Fire TV. Correct. I just just want to make sure I've got the things that you need to have. So you put this in and yeah, I mean, I purposely, I purposely, (laughs) I purposely went out and bought a Harmony, a Logitech Harmony hub to control all my AV equipment. Um, And that was actually really handy, especially when guests were in the house, because Mm -hmm. otherwise there was like this series of like four remotes you had to turn on and different orders to get to different things, right? So once I solved that, I could just be like, tell them, just ask Madam A to turn on Netflix and voila. A lot of the cable boxes now are starting to offer or have offered voice services and and things like that. But if you don't want to use their service, you could connect this to your TV and use it with your soundbar, your cable box, your satellite box, your audio receiver and voice control it with Madam A instead of the, I, I would say, proprietary type system that your cable company puts in. Exactly. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're all in on Madame A, this is probably a good deal for you if you've got also the the Fire TV gear, or if you don't have a Logitech Harmony Hub and want to start playing with control in your TV. We've got a quick little news bit on in-home Wi-Fi. So, Kevin, you want to do the Eero news? Yeah. So, there's the new Eero app version 3.0. It is now available for iOS, coming soon for Android. Basically, it adds an easier way to discover new features and smart home functionality. And the big thing, in my opinion, it's got the Amazon Wi-Fi simple setup. Mm-hmm. Does that mean yeah. I can bring any device that already has Amazon Wi-Fi simple setup into my house and it will simply set it up? Simply correct. Excellent. Well, I too have exciting Wi-Fi news, but not as exciting. Comcast, <laughs> you may remember them as the largest cable and broadband provider in the country, they are updating their Xfinity XFi Wi-Fi service to make life a little bit easier for parents. This is going to let you set up to 30 different Wi-Fi offline scheduled moments in every household profile. That means your kids, you you can have, I guess, up to six kids with five devices each <laughs> and handle all of that. It's a small little bit, but you know, for people who are trying to deal with this sort of thing, 
probably important. Okay, now it's time to talk about devices we've played with this week. Woo-woo! I had a wonderful product experience. I purchased, well, I didn't purchase my, I was visiting a friend in Arizona and, and because I am a smart home dealer, I talked her into buying some Nanoleaf canvas lights. And Ooh. these are, they're, they've been in the market maybe for a year. And I have the original Nanoleaf Aurora. The Auroras are triangles. The canvas are touch sensitive squares. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, they are so much fun. So <laughs> we went to Best Buy and Best Buy hooked us up with a nine pack starter kit and two additional four light panel expansion packs. So that gave us a total of 17 lights and she had a design in mind. So that was $199 for the, the nine pack and then 80 bucks for each of the expansion packs. So like $20 a panel. I told her she didn't need the remote, even though it's kind of fun, but it's kind of excessive too. But Mm -hmm. here's the deal. What's different about these than the original Nanoleaf Auroras is that you these are touch sensitive. So you can touch them and there's a control panel actually that has the on off and different buttons to control like music playback. So you just touch them and you can assign touch properties to other panels and you can make things happen. So you can control scenes with the touch. You can just like, you can play games with these. Like there's a whack-a-mole game. So I convinced her to buy it because she wanted a piece of art for above her couch. And when she saw these, she was like, I want that art. That's going to be amazing. And she was also looking for a lamp. So this did dual purpose for her. So yay. I cannot stress enough that these are not something that you buy because they're going to be super functional. You're buying this because you have a big spot on your wall that you want to fill. And you know, it, it was 360 mm-hmm. bucks, but that is not as much money as like a large painting. So they're more artistic, I think, than practical, but I love them. Yes. And everybody, I mean, I haven't met someone who owns them who doesn't love them. So these work really well. We taught, and we actually, she, she's an iPhone user. So we joined it to our network using HomeKit. And then she actually, well, okay, I did it for her, but I set up <laughs> so her lights would come on when she came home in the home app. And it was perfect. It worked perfectly. I tried to do NanoLeaf introduced a couple weeks ago, a web-based software program that lets you match what's on your computer screen to the lights. I tried to do that and it didn't work very well. So I was actually going to ask about that, not knowing that you did that with her, because the Philips Hue Sync box that works with your TV. And when you're watching TV, it it literally changes the lights around your TV to match and accentuate what's on the TV. I thought these would be perfect for that. And I realized they, they can work with the rhythm piece that Nanoleaf sells. Mm-hmm. These have the rhythm module built into them. So these also oh, can nice. react to rhythm. They do everything mm-hmm. the original Nanoleafs do, except they're square and they have touch sensitivity. Mm-hmm. So they're really cool. Like I'm kind of sitting there going like, hmm, where can I put these? Because I definitely want some. I would love these. It just seems like an excessive thing to buy for me. It does. All right. Yeah. Maybe for Christmas, Kevin. Maybe. All righty. Well, I think it's that time. Time to go to the IoT podcast hotline. Do-do-do-do. I don't know why I'm giving everything sound effects today. I don't know. <laughs> but the IoT Podcast Hotline is brought to you by Schlag. Schlage's wide variety of smart locks lets you create the smart home of your dreams. Learn more about Schlage's smart home solutions and compatibility with Amazon, Apple, Google Assistant, and more at schlage.com slash IoT. Okay, and if you would like to win a Schlage lock, that is this month's prize. boo doo 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 Yay! To enter to win, you have to just give us a call at 512-623-7424 and ask us a question. Hopefully, we'll answer your question on the air, but even if we don't, you will be entered to win the Schlage Smart Lock. To enter, you have to call us before midnight Eastern time on November 30th, and we're only going to be able to ship that lock to people in the U.S. or Canada. Very sorry, rest of world. Okay. Let's hear this week's question. It is from John, who is in St. Louis. 
Hi, Stacey and Kevin. It's John from St. Louis, a long-time listener, first-time caller. I have a number of different smart lights at my house, including the Philips Hue, and then I also have the Lutron Cassetta switches. Looking for a solution for recessed lights, uh, and it, you previously used the Lutron Cassetta. I saw a light when I was at Home Depot, and it's Philips, but it's not Hue. And in looking at it further, it's the Wiz, or the Wise, W-I-Z, who I understand that Philips acquired. I bought some of those bulbs, and they're they're pretty neat. And for a full-color recess bulb, it was significantly less expensive than the Hue. My question for you is this. They're Wi-Fi non-hub bulbs, which is nice, but I'm looking for a solution where I can control them like I would with the Hue remote that I have in place of my wall switches so I don't have to rely on people never turning the switch off and then just using the Madam A or the app. Uh, I realize they're not HomeKit enabled, so I can't use automations through HomeKit, but I was looking for other solutions that you might have to replace the physical wall switches with just some sort of basically a remote that would turn those Wi-Fi bulbs on and off. Thanks so much for any help that you have. Love the show. Thanks. Okay. Well, John, thank you so much because I was not aware of the whiz bulbs. I've actually seen them, but I didn't know they were bought by Philips. And I'm like, oh, hey, cool. But we also, in investigating your question, found that maybe you don't want to buy Wi-Fi connected bulbs for your home. And we'll go into the reason. So, so it looks like you can get a two pack of BR30s, those are the down lights, and they're color tunable or color changeable for $35, which is not a bad deal. No. $17 a bulb. You can also get some normal A19 ones for $14 a bulb. So, you know, it's much less than the Hue bulbs. But here's the deal with Wi-Fi lights. And you're experiencing the problem with, I'm going to say, all connected light bulbs, which is when you put them in your ceiling or your ceiling fan or wherever, people are going to want to turn that light switch off. And when you turn that light switch off, you turn off your ability to control those lights. And that's a sad thing. And we dealt with this in my house too, because I had Philips Hue bulbs in the ceiling of my living room. What I eventually had to do was buy a smart switch. And then that brought me down this like journey. I ended up with the Lutron Cassetta switch. I installed it in. And then when I turned it on or off, it didn't matter because it was still online and I could still control the light bulbs. So. There are lots of Wi-Fi compatible, if you don't want a Lutron, that's fine, but there are lots of Wi-Fi compatible smart switches, but you are going to have to do some wiring. So that's option one, and those range from about $35 to about $55. The other option would be a Wi-Fi button, but as Kevin will <laughs> tell Kevin and I couldn't find a lot of Wi-Fi buttons. Kevin, what did we no, find? And there's a there's a good reason for that because battery life. Wi-Fi will use more battery life than say a Bluetooth Zigbee or Z-Wave button. So there just aren't too many out there, John. Um, we kind of did we come up dry or did we find any? We couldn't find the Wi-Fi button, and we were a little confused because Wiz, as a company, used to make something called the Wizmote, which was a remote to control it, and they also had a Wiz Click which looked like a button, but we couldn't find those anywhere, except... Except, if you don't mind buying two more lights, you can get two BR30 color bulbs with the included remote from Amazon, currently for $79. It does say it usually ships within five to seven days, as of right now. That's an option. It's not the best option, but it gets you that remote that you want because everything else we looked at, John, was going to be the addition of a new hub or some workaround. Yeah. I mean, well, a light switch is not crazy. If you're comfortable installing a light switch, that's my yeah. recommendation. But if you're not, you know, Flick, F-L-I-C, they make a Bluetooth button and they have a $99 Flick hub. If you put that Flick button in your house and the hub, you can tie the flick button and hub using IFT to the whiz lights, and then you can have something. But you're going to be spending like 140 bucks plus. Yeah. And besides, you know what? John doesn't want a button. He wants a remote. We found a remote. It's 79 bucks, and he gets two bulbs for free with it. <laughs> All right. Order fast, because, John, we don't know how long these are going to last, and we don't know if they're going to make any more. So. Exactly. So in conclusion, John. 
I feel like smart bulbs are not an awesome solution for things where you have a lighting control. I'm sorry. Or if you're going to go with a smart bulb, go with an ecosystem that includes the remotes and such that you want. Or, or, or you could use your phone, the phone app, as the remote. Yeah, I mean, or if you have an old phone, you could just pop that in there. Yeah. Yay. Because on, oh, yes, on Ift, you can actually create like a widget on the phone's home screen. Yep. It's a button widget. So then you just pick up the phone and boom, press the button. So if you have an old phone lying around, that's actually probably your easiest option to create a remote. Okay, John, I'm sorry we don't have a really cool solution for you, but we did find you a remote on Amazon. Go now, buy it before anyone else does. And I think that's probably it for this portion of the show. I hope everyone stays tuned to hear Alex Yang, the co-founder and COO of Tuya, talk to us about how his platform handles privacy, regional differences between people's needs in the smart home, and a lot more. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hey, everyone. We are taking a quick break from this week's Internet of Things podcast for a message from our sponsor. This week's sponsor is Legrand, a maker of smart lighting controls, outlets, and receptacles. And I have Manny Lynn Harris here to talk to us. So this week, we're going to be talking about interoperability. Interoperability is such a big conversation in the world of IoT. What is Legrand's view on this topic? When we at Legrand launched the global IoT program, Elliot, in 2015, we included our position and continue to promote that we build open and interoperable IoT solutions for all the markets we serve, residential, commercial, industrial, and even the data center. We believe interoperability is the essential hinge pin to the success of IoT going forward. Wow, that's really clear. So how does that work? What does it mean for the end user? So we leverage many methods from native level, application level, and cloud-to-cloud level interoperabilities. With many of the solutions, we offer simple and easy-to-use public APIs to allow even broader and deeper interoperabilities. The benefit of an open and smart connected world are plentiful. However, for IoT to keep progressing and work to reach its full potential, especially when some of the efforts around analytics and artificial intelligence continue to grow, the industry needs to unify around openness or a few single interoperable approaches to allow these devices to continue to work together. So we work with so many of the open and interoperable platforms like Amazon and Google's, OCF, dot, dot, slash, thread, Zigbee, 3.0, and many more, all interesting approaches. We don't actually know or know if the customer wants to choose these. So we need to understand all the different avenues and make it easy for them and not cause the choice to strand them over time. Proprietary technologies should be left behind and will when the market embraces open and more interoperable choices. Within Legrand, we continue to go down this path. And at CES this year, we will make another announcement of us further going down the path of more open and interoperable directions. I know Legrand recently acquired Natatmo as well. How does that fit into this conversation? So the founder of Natatmo has an amazing track record of building amazing IoT-based companies and again built a wonderful organization within Natatmo. Legrand has had a very deep partnership with Natatmo for years, and we saw the value and the efforts within Natatmo's organization as an additional infusion of an IoT DNA to boost and drive our capabilities. Natatmo brings platforms for interoperability across a broad set of residential solutions, but now it's incorporated in the largest lighting and wiring device portfolio in the world, drastically expanding interoperability, where by the end of this year, we will be in 90 countries. And where can our listeners go to learn more about Legrand and its interoperability efforts? You can visit us on the web at legrand.us forward slash smart lighting and look for us at CES next year. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and today's guest is Alex Yang, who is co-founder and COO of Tuya. Hello, Alex. How are you today? Yeah, I'm doing great. Hi, everyone. Awesome. All right. We are so happy to have you on the show, Alex, because we have been talking about Tuya 
probably for the last at least two years. And for those of you guys who need a refresher, Tuya is an IoT platform. It helps other companies get their devices on the internet. But Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you guys started the company about five years ago? Yeah, actually, we, uh, the founding member of Tuya, we all come from internet industry. So we are experienced building the cloud platform infrastructures and some uh, internet service for the B2B side. And, you know, we always want to start something. This is our second company. So five years ago, we want to have another journey. And then we're looking for the path. We believe that the mobile internet back then is already being settled. So no big, no big opportunities for startups in the mobile internet world. And we started looking for something. What will happen post internet? And we believe that the core of the internet is creating a networks, connecting people, connecting the world. And IoT will be the new type of networks that we're looking forward to. And then we decided to take that path. So the IoT, we believe that after five years since then, we believe that will be the future and that will be the core of the technology going to influence billions of people's lives every day. And during all our careers, we always doing the B2B business, B2B type of service, but try to get more people who are willing, more people, more companies, more developers who have the plan to engage in this business. But my, they have the same type of pain point to design it all over in-house. So that's where we are. And we found there's a gap there. The IoT need unique infrastructures and utility to start with. And back then, there's nothing there. So that's how we decided to start with. That makes a lot of sense. And yes, getting devices online is hard. You guys provide a wireless module you can add to your product, and that gets you onto your cloud. And I believe it has device management. Can you just run us really quickly through some of the services you provide? Yes, what we have provided is a, is a total plug and play solutions for most type of IoT devices. So there are three core factors to make devices being successfully connected and become small. The first one is connectivity. So we give them is the networking modules contain with all the connectivity chip with antenna designs and with the pre-installed embedded system. And the second one we deliver is the cloud. So when a device is being connected, there got to be a cloud to connect it to. And so there's a cloud contain with all the basic and IoT service, including device management, user account management, and data analysis, data storage, control protocols, OTAs, etc. And the third one is that when the device is being connected, actually we're creating a new user interface. So we give them a new user interface type of applications, including the mobile app, both Android and, and iOS, and also including some new in- interface we're creating right now. Like the voice interactions, we work with Alexa, with Google Home to enable the device we work with. So that will be so connectivity, cloud and applications are the three key things we put it together and deliver to the customers. Excellent. Okay. And I know that people have been asking us about Tuya for a while. You guys have customers. I think you're the underlying platform for some of Energizer's smart home stuff, as well as Mercury Innovations that Walmart sells here in the U.S., The biggest concern I think people come up to us with is the fact that y'all are based in China and they worry that their information is going to a company in China that might somehow use that information against them. Talk to us about your privacy policies and how you handle data. That's a good question. People keep asking that, not only, not only from the states, from every single country all the time. First of all, that actually Tuya is international corporated and operated. So when we established Tuya from the beginning, we have two headquarters, one in California, one in China. And our investor and shareholders are all over the world. Actually, our major shareholders yeah, come from the state. And our boards stay in California, which is managing most of the operation of the company. So that's the background. More than that, when we set up this global service for IoT, especially the global cloud distribution for IoT, and we set up a very unique cloud infrastructure there. We deploy the cloud all over the world, but uh, it's globally, but also it's locally. So in every single country or regions, actually we have a separate cloud there to comply with all the regulations in each regions to make sure that wherever the data was generated, the data stayed there forever. So like uh, we, are the, we are the one of the first IoT platform who comply with the GDPR. And right now we're really finished the assessment of the CCPA from California for American IoT, um, IoT policy and privacy. And uh, very likely we'll finish the certificate pretty soon. We believe that we'll be also the, one of the first. The same thing going on in Japan, same thing going on in India, and same thing going on in China. So we're very carefully about the 
data privacy and security issues, and we try to comply with every single standards in each region. And for the um, privacy policies, we follow each country's definition of regulations. So they define that uh, actually the, the government will give us the, the guideline to define that uh, the ownership of the data and uh, the limitation of the using of data. For us, we are the platform, so we don't touch the data. We help the customer maintain the data. We help the end user maintain the data. So they have, and we make sure that all the techniques will comply with that as well. So that's for the for the legal side. And for the technology side, actually we uh, cooperate with third parties, uh, security companies, tier one from the world. Like in the States, we cooperate with the Trust Arc. And in Europe, we will cooperate with the NCC and the Kabaski. So we're asking those guys to keep evaluating our architect and infrastructures technically to make sure that uh, our technology can comply with all the regulations as well. Okay, and there is a lot of competition in this world doing what you're doing, but you guys are succeeding really well. So I would love to understand, given that you're seeing so much in so many areas of the world, what's happening in different areas? So what's trending in the US? What's trending in China? What are people in India caring about when it comes to connected devices? Yeah, that's a good question. So we see that uh, very interestingly that uh, there are people are looking for different things or different values from the connected device or from smart home in different regions. Like we found out in the States, actually the most active usage people, features people using right now is voice interaction. Maybe thanks to a great job by an Amazon Alexa and by Google Assistant. So people are very, very familiar about how to talk to device or how to talk to manage the home. In the States, we've found that uh, anything that can work with uh, voice engines or anything that can work with other devices to deliver better home automation experience, that's what people are looking forward to. But in China, actually, people don't have that speed of IoT that much. So usually people don't go to some Chinese Best Buy, you know, some Chinese retails or on e-commerce, try to shop some smart home products and set up by themselves. Sometimes it's hard for them. So in China, we found it's a better, it's a bigger opportunity to cooperate with the open developers, realistic builders. So they'll pre-install our entire smart home solutions before they sell the house. So they'll do all the installations when they decorate the house. And then for the consumers, it's just, you know, do it for you. So it's much, much easier for them. In Australia, actually people more concerned about their home security. So they buy a lot, lot more cameras than anywhere any other countries in the world. They're always looking for some um, very good cameras with uh, including the objective detections. People detections come with a cloud storage and it's better be a multiple camera system. And in Japan, it's different. Japan, we think, we think that will be people are not get used to those kind of, you know, smart home experience that much. And even like the Alexa or Google Home, they just started Japan. So for Japanese market, it needs more time to educate people that how there is a new technology can help their lives and they can start buying that. But uh, as we know, Japanese, Japan is a kind of aging population right now. So more and more elder carers. So they're more care about, okay, anything can relate it to help them connect it to the nurse stations nearby, can connect it to their doctor nearby. So that kind of healthcare service type of devices will be very popular. And in India, it's, it's very unique. India right now have, uh, the customer are encouraging very much about to, to go in their domestic and companies, including domestic manufacturers, domestic technologies. So for India, is that uh, there are not so many products, foreign products in India. If we try to introduce the IoT technology and services to India, you need to be able to figure out a way to cooperate with the India local company and help them to build their own local IoT ecosystem and utility there. So in India, we set up a local team, come with all the local peoples, and we are building up a local ecosystems, come with the design house, come with the manufacturers, come with the key component suppliers, and come with the retailers together. I like it. And sometimes I feel a little cynical saying this, but I feel like in the US, there was a point where we had tons and tons of startups doing really crazy things here, and then kind of filtered out to a few big players. And it almost feels like, I don't want to say innovation is dead, but it feels like we've definitely stagnated. We've settled like, oh, voice is a good UI. Yes, we're going to have 
awesome displays, smart thermostats are cool, light bulbs are cool, plugs, etc. Do you see new and upcoming exciting devices and things happening? I want it to happen in the US because that's where I am, but I will take anywhere. <laughs> Is there still innovation happening in the smart home or this connected device world? Yeah, I think this innovation is still happening, for sure, definitely. But we think that innovation comes from different angles. So in the beginning, innovation comes from the device side. They'll come up with some devices people never think about that before, never heard of that before. So like the smart speaker, like the thermostat you mentioned. So that type of device has never existed before. So when they come out, it's kind of blow people's minds. But uh, I think that another innovation will come from the system or from the platform or from the software level is that when things be connected, we call it only the stage one. You create a devices which could be connected. And the stage two is that uh, more devices need to be connected together and create a scene. Eventually, what we need, we don't need to have some separate or isolated devices, connected devices, and it just come with a virtual remote control, no matter if on cell phone or it's on the voice interaction. People don't need more than that. People, what people need is themes. So when I was home, when I was watching my TV, what will be the light, what will be the volume, what will be the temperature? And when I was out, what will home robotics will do to secure my home, to saving energy from my home, or to taking care of the, all the package delivered from the prime day home to my home? So people need is the same, and the same come to a series of interactions across different type of devices. I think this part, we are far from there. So we st still a lot, lot of things that we can create to generate and deliver some values with the things, with the peoples, with the all different type of devices together. I think that's we're in stage two there. After that will be stage three, is that this kind of virtual system or virtual brain can start to understand what people need. So without bothering people to manage the scenes, actually, that kind of virtual assistant can create scenes for people. So it's more like, the, you know, for, for us, for me personally, my ideal home is Iron Man's home. So whenever the Tony Stark is back in home, I just call Javis. And then there was a virtual guy helping him to manage the house for him, repair the house, upgrade the house, prepare the food, you know, take care of him. So that's something that we think that the out is future. I feel compelled to remind people whenever they mention Jarvis that Tony Stark was a genius billionaire. Uh <laughs> yeah. So actually that that will come from the, the the mission of all the all the companies in this industry that whether how we can create that great experience like Jarvis did, but be able to cost down enough to make it affordable for the regular people. I think that that's our that's our mission. Awesome. I'm I'm all for that. <laughs> Okay, let's talk specifically about a couple new announcements that you guys made, because I think they're probably indicative of where Tuya is going in the future. Recently, you guys announced that Jeff Imelt, who is the former CEO of GE, is on the board and heading up your strategic advisory committee. Can you tell us a little bit about what you hope he's going to do for Tuya? Yes, we're very excited to have Jeff on board. Actually, we believe that there are several values Jeff can bring to Tuya. And the first one is the very experienced insight in the hardware industry. So from his decades of experience in GE. So I think that the first one helped us understanding more about what's going on and what is the business, what is the, the mindset to operate in any type of business of hardware company. And the second one is that uh, Jeff is very great at to to build up a globalized organization. And uh, the third thing is that actually Jeff is a great business leader. So he can continually give us more great mindset about a better type of business models, business growth, business management. And I should ask, because you, you mentioned this briefly, a focus on devices and hardware. Right now you are primarily a platform company, but are you getting into building devices also? No, no, okay. no. What I mean is that uh, we enable those device manufacturers or device developers. So we need to understand more about, you know, how they running their own business, what's their operations. Got it. I was, I was like, oh my goodness, you're going to compete with your customers. No, 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 <laughs> no, no way, no way. Okay. No way. We're never going to do that. That's probably smart. Okay. And then the other piece of news that I know our audience will be excited about is that you guys have built a direct integration with the SmartThings platform by Samsung. Yep. What is that user experience going to look like? And will that be across all, I think you've got like 93,000 devices in your system now? 
And not right now, but uh, gradually, yes. So we finished the platform integration with the Samsung smartphones, which means that right now, all those devices using two-year platforms enabled with the, works with the smartphone features, those devices will be able to communicate with the smartphone devices. Not only smartphone devices, but all the Samsung smart devices and just starting to do the system level automation. And also all devices will be able, all those brands who come with the Tuya works with the smartphone features, those brands will be promoted in smartphone apps. So it will be a more smooth user experience. So if I have a Samsung washing machine, and this is a silly use case, but let's say I wanted it to turn my Mercury Innovation light bulbs on when it's done, is that the sort of thing I should yeah. be able to build easily if I have the smart things? And for that, I would need a smart things hub? You don't need a hub. So it's a platform integration, so we finish integration on the cloud side and also on the edge side. Okay. So as long as this device works with the smart things, with or without a hub. Just make sure the smartphone app devices and the two enabled devices are always on, are both online, and then they can do the automations right, right away. Right. If I, if I turn off my smart light bulbs, they just don't work. It's terrible. Tuya is a pretty full-service operation. How do customers pay for the service, and what is it they're paying for? Because our business model, actually, we are very simple, is that we're running like a platform licensing model, so people pay for the connectivity to of the device. So people pay for the on device a month basis. But actually we're doing more to help them connect it to the platform. We're doing a lot of jobs to helping them to sell those devices. So when doing that in the marketing side, into the co-sale side, help them to successfully sell the devices to the consumers. And also we care more to provide a lot, lot of resources to help them to provide a better service either serve the, the consumers or to serve the sales channels, you know, or to serve the suppliers. All those features, then the features you can buy from the market, I offer them one-time fee. There are several value-added storage on top of that. One example is the cloud storage on cameras that will be extra charge. So that will be running as a subscription model. But most of the basic stuff, like the connectivity, like the control, scheduling, grouping, that kind of features, it's all in included in a one-time agency. And do you also help your customers get their devices, you know, build the storage backend, market, introduce them to retailers? I mean, a platform provider yes, can... Yes, I help them do that as well. So sometimes we say that whatever we can do to help our customers sell more, we do that. Okay. Alex, this has been incredibly helpful. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and explain the mysterious Tuya platform that is epically huge and very impressive. Thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Thank you, Stacey. I'm enjoying the conversation. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, if you'd like more IoT news, sign up for my newsletter at stacyoniot.com. We'll see you next week.